Today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 40 through 49. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it is on page 962. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is only one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so, are so, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. This is part nine of our series, Real Hope, as we work our way through uh, this really incredible portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is all about the resurrection. Um, um, I said to you last week that I'm not sure if I'm, I'm quite good enough as a preacher to teach this passage. Uh, I said that last week. This We're picking up. In, in a lot of ways, this is sort of like a continuation of last week's message um, about in this portion of what this means that we now have a spiritual body. And last week I, I said, that it, the, the, the scripture says that this life is like a seed. And it's like a kernel. And, but, you know, it's sort of like when you look at a seed, it doesn't really look like much anything. And it's really hard to imagine that a, a really gigantic and incredibly glorious Redwood could come, redwood tree can come from some tiny little seed, or a really beautiful apple tree, or some other glorious thing could come from something that seems like nothing. And so our life here is like that seed. It looks pretty much what the, the greatest glory that you have on this earth, winning the Super Bowl, you know, winning, um, you know, going off to like Harvard, <laughs> becoming a billionaire, um, starting a company that goes IPO and then you become, you know, a, you know, a famous billionaire or something like this. I mean, these are some of the glories that we think of. You, you become a supermodel or something like this and the whole world like bows down to you because you're so gorgeous, all right? You know, all of this we consider the greatest glories that we have here, yet the Bible just says they're, they're just like little seeds. We haven't even seen anything yet. And today we're going to pick up from there in, in this next portion what is that seed like? I mean, that seed turns into something glorious, and that seed births something that the Bible calls a spiritual body. <laughs> a spiritual body. That's what we're going to talk about today. And that's a weird thing, and I don't know if you can notice this. Um, in some ways, this passage, if you read this, and I have read this so many times, it's almost like the language is, is breaks down. It's like the language is not good enough to contain and convey to you what, 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 what's, what's awaiting. 
for all those um, who are of the resurrection of Christ. And that's why I say to you, I, I just don't know if I'm a good enough preacher to try to get this across to you, but I'm going to try, okay? We're going to try today. And so today's message in three parts, I, I've entitled The Spiritual Body and a Life-Giving Spirit, because that's what we're talking about. The, uh, the resurrection, the eternal human being is a spiritual, has a spiritual body, and is this life is a, being a life-giving spirit. That's what it is. In three parts, part one, the last Adam and the spiritual body. The last Adam and the spiritual body. Part two, the new heavenly humanity as life-giving spirit. Now, just, just stop for a moment. Um, all of us, and I really mean that all of us, I mean, just because I'm the pastor and so supposedly, generally, it's just so hard to kind of wrap your mind around what the Bible is saying here by spirit, by spiritual. And um, because most of us were so, we have such a pathetically weak understanding of this. Uh, so that's what we're talking about today, life-giving spirit. The new heavenly humanity has life-giving spirit. In part three, there's a great drama. The great drama of becoming life -giving, a life-giving spirit even now, okay? Starting now. Not after the seed has died and, you know, we're into our full, but you begin this process. The seed starts becoming life-giving spirit even now, even now on this earth. So part one, um, the life, last Adam and the spiritual body. So, uh, you know, let, let's, let's go to this passage. Um, so here we go. Um, so it is with the resurrection. Uh, okay, listen to this. What is sown, that's the seed, is perishable. That's this life. What is raised is imperishable. That's the glory that's going to come out. It is sown in dishonor. This life, there's a lot of dishonor. Do you guys feel it? Guys, there's so many things in our life that, um, that we're ashamed. I'm going to read a, a passage, and it talks about how uh, the clothes in, it, it references, this is from Lewis. C.S. Lewis says that if you wear clothes in the resurrection, you, nobody wears the clothes like a disguise. But do you notice that that's what we do today? The reason we even put on clothes is because we're ashamed. We're ashamed to be naked. And we don't really want anybody to see all of us. And we really mean that in every way. We don't want people to see the, the just little parts where we're, you know, kind of got rolls of fat. We don't want the parts of us that look kind of, you know, ugly. There are certain like parts of us that we want to keep private, and we don't want anybody seeing that. And so the clothes is a kind of like cover-up of the dishonor. But actually, we we don't want. Um, there, but if you think this physical clothes matters, actually we put on a lot more other kind of clothes because inside, if you can look at the person, the so the whole life today is there's a inside there's a dishonor in the soul and in the heart and the mind. You regularly throughout your mind, there's things that are honestly dishonorable. Occasionally it comes out of our mouth. You know, you're driving. <laughs> you see someone on the road, they cut you off, and a racist thought goes through your head, and then certain bad words come out of your mouth. Dishonorable is coming out of you, but actually, most of the time, we go around and we try to, like, we're trying to cover up. So that's, this is what this is like. goes on to say, what is sown, it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised... It is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. We're filled with weakness here, this mortal life. But it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. But it is raised, now here, here's the word, a spiritual body. We have today this thing that we call a natural body. And a lot of times people think this word spiritual is a difficult word for us because I want you to just stop for a moment. What, if I were to ask you, what's a spiritual body? You're like, I don't know. I, I have been wrestling literally for weeks to try to convey to you what, what, what that world is a spiritual body. <laughs> because for most of us, spiritual is like some kind of invisible, ooh, <laughs> right? It's, it's some kind of like non-physical thing. But a body, everybody knows, it's physical. You can touch it. You can, you know, you can feel it. It's, a, it's, it's very tangible. But a spiritual, isn't that sort of like the ghost inside the machine? This is like the, the tangible machine, the ghost inside the machine, spiritual. But then what is a spiritual body? What the Bible is saying here is like there is a point. So the natural body is this is this. This is a natural body. It's got weakness. It's got dishonor. And it, it lacks for power. It's going to die. It's mortal. It's perishable. We all know this. But there's going to be a body that's called a, what the Bible calls a spiritual body, and it cannot die. And it does not have dishonor. And can you imagine if you have a body and you never have to disguise it? You never have to cover it up. It's just, it, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's Edenic. It's like Eden. You know, it says in, in, the, in earlier Genesis that, the, the, the man and woman were together. They were naked, but unashamed. And one day we'll be like this, except there'll be no possibility to go back to being ashamed. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, uh, there's going to be something I'm going to read for you, which is, I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm getting you to start to think about this thing. The spiritual body is not, not physical. You see what I'm saying? It's like, it's not just, unphys- it's not unphysical. It's physical, but more. It's physical, but without shame. It's physical, but without mortality. But it's physical is almost not even the right word. There's no word for it. <laughs> There's no word for the physical, which is immortal. So he uses spiritual. You hear what I'm saying? The language is breaking down. The spiritual body is something so much more that this is the way you have to put it. It's a spiritual body. Now, I want to stop and talk for a moment here. What, what, do, that's just so, what are you talking about, Pastor? Hmm. Now, this is, um, I have to kind of take, teach you some Christian doctrine here. If you can't, if you don't know certain basis of Christianity and certain core Christian doctrine, it's hard to kind of get your mind wrapped around what this is trying to say. Because the resurrection is the very peak it is the very goal and the ultimate promise of what it means to know Jesus Christ. The ultimate good news promise and reward of having Christ. And, but how did we get, how do you get there? How can you get to this thing? What it took, what it took, what, God didn't just snap his finger and go, all right, you know, I'm God, just, just boom, just make it up. That's not how he did it. What it, what it, what it required was that, it had gone it to go back to his original purpose and design. He made human beings, and it goes into this passage here. One day we're going to image, we're going to be made in the image of the heavenly man. That's Jesus. 
But when he goes back to say this, that in, the, in Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve, human beings, were made in the image of God. And they were physical. Their physicality, their nakedness, all of that is part of the image. And God made these beings that were not God, but what they're supposed to be is to shine off God. So I want you to just think a little bit about this. Angels, we think of angels as something, these, these incredible, mighty beings that cannot die, and in that sense, they must be greater than us, and yet not according to Genesis. According to Genesis, God made these seemingly, seemingly these um, not so, you know, we're just people. <laughs> um, and yet those people were supposed to be nothing less than what would God be like if he were to walk this earth. You get what I'm saying? So, not a dog, not a monkey. Okay, look, this, this, this worldview that we're taught in the public schools today, it is absolutely, there is every creature on this earth, and then there's a vast chasm, and then there's human beings. And the angels are below us. Because that's what God intended. There's going to be this being, this creature, on the earth, and it's supposed to be, if I were to make a whole bunch of little gods like me, <laughs> that's what the human being is supposed to be. You know what the human being is supposed to be? A human being is supposed to be a god walking around earth like the real god. That's what the human being is. And then what we decided to do is we decided to be more like rats. <laughs> We'd rather not be like God because that would be gods above us. We want to try to be our own god, which is what, how we turned ourselves into less than what we're supposed to be. You can feel this tension. You know, it, it's, it's, it's really amazing to me. We live in a highly secular society, but it's amazing to me that every secular person, who, even though they have this story that we're nothing except you know, a molecular accident, <laughs> and they were just going to die, there's no eternity or anything like that. We're just a molecular accident. And yet, somehow, all these molecular accidents are supposed to live for justice <laughs> and love and beauty, and compassion, and we're supposed to like create this beautiful world. I mean, come on, you know why we're supposed to be? Because we're of God. We're of God, we're made for God, we're supposed to be little versions of God. So, since we wrecked that, God himself said, you know what, so that the smaller versions of God could really be God. I'll go down, so it, all the human beings wrecked it. So the one who is really God made himself into the image of God. Now think about that. Isn't that weird? Those, the one who is the true God made himself into the image of God. So there's a, there's, imagine if you were to make an image of yourself. That's <laughs> just kind of strange. You, 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 you're, as a kid, you guys ever make like model, model, you know, little people, I mean like, Girls like playing with little, you know, they have the, the Ken doll and the Barbie doll. Really, what are they? Those are, those are images of us. A doll is an image of a person, of, of the human being. They're the real thing, and they're the lesser thing. But what makes them special? Why do little girls love the Ken doll, the Barbie doll? Why do they like dolls? Why do they like stuffed animals? Because in some sense, they're a beautiful image of the, of the real thing. And so if you can't have an actual dog, then you have a stuffed dog. If you can't, you don't want a lion. I mean, you don't want a dog. You don't want a bear. You actually, I mean, like a bear is a beautiful 
creature, but you can't have a bear wandering around in your, in, in, your, in your living room. So what we do is then we make an image of a bear. You know what God did? He made an image of himself. It's like the toy, the toy God, the real God then made himself into the toy image. You get it? That's, the, that's what the Bible is teaching. That is fundamental Christian doctrine, and we call that the incarnation. Incarnation means God went into the flesh of the human, humanity. He incarnate. He went into that flesh. The Son of God went into and became the image. So the image could really stop imaging something more demonic and horrible. I mean, half the time... We're supposed to be imaging God, but half the time we image like rats, and sometimes we image demons. When we can really evil, you know. You know, so, so, so I think I think about this. Um, in the morning, I'm a good father, loving and patient. And then I go through two hours of stress, and then I bite my kid's head off like a demon. <laughs> just that just happens every day, you know, just every other day, and that's attention. Right there. And that's the dishonor. That's perishable. That's filled with weakness. That's, but yet, all those who are in Christ will receive the imperishable resurrection so that Jesus, Jesus who is the real God, made himself into like the toy image. It's like <laughs> he made like a, a stuffed version of God <laughs> and then he made it come to life because that's what Adam is. You understand? He says the first Adam was a life, was a living being. So he made like the stuffed God. I, think, I mean, you think, I'm, 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 I'm trying here. You get what I'm saying? He made the toy God, and then he breathed life into it, and Adam lived. It's like it's a, a living toy God, small God. And then he decided to be more like a demon. <laughs> and then everyone born of him has got the same problem. So then the real God made himself into like the small God, and then he became really, if what the, the image of God should really be like, he showed us to it. He lived that life. And then we killed him because we would rather be more like demons. And then by killing him, he redeemed us. And then he says, now let me show you what the real human life is supposed to look like. And boom, he conquered death with a spiritual body, okay? That's what the resurrection is. A body that cannot die, that does not sin, not even, can no longer sin because it's utterly defeated sin. It doesn't just sin because like, uh, like I'll just, let me just use my discipline, personal discipline to not sin. No, it's like I've defeated sin. And those of us who believe and unite ourselves to Jesus, that's what you're uniting yourself to. You're not just uniting yourself to this person. You're like, okay, I'm going to try to like behave better like Jesus. No, it's like moralism. <laughs> a lot of Christians are just like, let me just behave better like Jesus. I'll just follow the rules better like Jesus. That's horrible. That's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel is this. <laughs> that the toy version of God would have a life and forever he would be truly as God. Which we now call the spiritual body. You hear what I'm saying? That's, this is the teaching. That's what's in this passage. It's crazy stuff. Now, I just want to say one more thing before I go into part two. Um, 
I think that there are only two reactions that are, are sensible to Christianity. This is the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> that is the stupidest, most absurd. So God made like a stuffed version of himself and then somehow like, because the, the doctrine of the incarnation is completely insane stuff. Okay? Unless it's true. <laughs> if it's true, Jesus made himself doctrine of the incarnation. He defeats death. That's the crucifixion. And then he made the, the, the toy little bad versions of God, real gods. That's the resurrection. That's the hope. That's the real hope. That's our hope. So it's either really stupid or it's everything. And obviously, I'm in the latter camp. You can decide which camp you want to be in. I think if you're in the first camp, then yeah, we, we might as well all just be demons and rats. I mean, there's nothing special about a, a human being. It's just a smarter rat. That's all a human being is. It's just a smarter version of a rat. And just like every version of all the rats and all the animals, the strong eat the weak. The strong eat the weak. This, this idea, let's, let's love the poor and have justice. Screw that. Justice is a stupid word. It's just a stupid word. That, that weak people made up <laughs> to like, try to protect themselves against the, the strong people. You know who said this? Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche came up with this. He says, it's just a stupid word that Christians came up with, justice. Yeah. He even says this. He says, if you believe in justice and caring for the poor, deep down, you believe in Christianity. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you might as well be a Christian. Even if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in that Jesus and stuff, you might as well be a Christian because only Christians could believe that nonsense. Because the real world is this. The powerful destroy the weak. And you can't accept the weak are weak. They're, just, they're, just, they're disgusting. Who cares about, you know, racism makes sense. Because if the wrong skin color people are kind of gross and you don't want them in your neighborhood, get them out. <laughs> if you don't want them and we want to kill them, kill them. We're better. Because we're the higher evolution. See? But the real truth, see, I think this is the real truth. The real truth is we're acting like demons, but we're really supposed to be God, like God. Let's go to part two. Okay, I, I, I told you, I'm not good enough to help you convey this. And so ever since we got into the series, I knew I was at a head-on collision course with this passage. I'm like, oh, God, I'm not good enough to preach this. So I found somebody who I think is better, a guy named C.S. Lewis. Now, this book, I read this book a number of years ago, and I know, I know the basic contents of this book, so I decided to reread this whole thing just for this sermon. <laughs> okay? And um, it's called The Great Divorce. And at, at the bottom here it says, A fantastic bus ride from hell to heaven. A round trip for some, but not for others. Hmm, interesting. Now, this is a fiction book, okay? <laughs> but you know what it's based on? This passage. It's based on this passage. Now, what happens in this book is, at the beginning of the book, you're in this kind of like, this ugly kind of like run-down town where nobody talks to each other, and they all come up to this bus, and some of the people don't even want to get on the bus. A lot of them are just whining and complaining. They don't even want to get on the bus. They fight. This all fight breaks out in the line of the bus because this is hell. Everybody is just self-centered. And then they get on this bus, 
And these people are not even really real. They're like less than real. They're ghostly. They're ghostly. And then they take this bus ride, not even really quite to heaven. It's sort of like the entrance to heaven. <laughs> it's right at the very beginning. It's sort of like the lobby of heaven, so to speak. Okay, it's not really a lobby, but it's like a great, beautiful field because, you know, heaven doesn't have a lobby because that would be kind of lame looking, right? <laughs> I would think. All right, he, that's not the way he imagines it. But this is his imaginative way. And it's fiction, but this is his way to try to, to wrap his mind around this passage. Okay? So they go to this... Um, place, and I'm going to read a portion out of this for you. And this really helped me. I hope it'll help you. Okay? So, okay, kids, you can put your heads down and listen to the teacher read the story. <laughs> okay? I, I love story time when I was a kid, so I hope you like it. All right? Um, some kind of procession, some great parade, right, was approaching us. So they're up in heaven. There's a person who came, and it's still kind of ghostly because they're from hell. And they come up to like the very beginning of heaven, and this great parade, this procession is approaching. And here's the way it's described. Some kind of parade was approaching us, and the light came from the persons who composed this parade. They're just shining. First came bright spirits. Not the spirits of men who dance and scattered flowers, um, soundlessly falling, lifting, drifting flowers, though by the standard of the ghost world, each would have weighed a hundred weight, and their fall would have been like crushing boulders. Now just stop for a moment. You know how he imagines this? In, in hell, we're so nothing. We have no weight. But in everything, heaven is more than physical. Everything is so physical. Like even just little like flowers that you know, you pot. It's like so real. That in hell, it would feel like boulders are, hit, are hitting the ground. <laughs> like these little like flower petals. Are just, it's this beautiful community. But up there, it would be like boulders. That's how he, how he describes it. Then in, and then, on the left and at the right, these are spirits. This is, these are spirits. They're very physical. You can see it. <laughs> and they throw flowers, which are like boulders. At least that's the weight. And that's why he calls them spirits. Spirit. Spiritual bodies. Then on the left and the right, at each side of, the, of, of this forest avenue, because it's, like it's a beautiful forest, right, came youthful shapes, boys upon one hand and girls on the other. Can you see it? Can you imagine? It's a glorious forest. Super physical beings he calls spirits. And, and there's a whole group of boys and a whole group of girls. Can you see it? If I would re remember their singing... And write down the notes. So they're singing. If I would write, remember they're singing and write down their notes, no man who read the score of that music would ever grow sick or old. Wouldn't that be incredible? Don't you want to listen to a music that will help you never be sick or old? And between them went musicians and after these, a lady in whose honor all this was being done. Do you see it? So there's boys singing, there's girls singing, and in the music, in the middle, there's musicians. And they're all these supremely be uh, glorious beings that are like super, supreme, super physical, su spiritual. And then afterwards, there's this lady that's incredibly honored. 
So there's a parade and there's this woman, all these people like playing music in front of this woman, okay? So I cannot now remember whether she was naked or clothed. See, because she has no dishonor. If she was naked, then it must have been almost like a visible like aura, aura of her courtesy and joy which produces the memory of the illusion of a great and shining train, a robe across that happy grass. You guys see it? It's like her clothes, it's like, I can't quite, I can't tell if she was clothed, but it was probably like her joy and courtesy is so thick, it's like her clothes, <laughs> and it's flowing off her like a robe, like a train. That's how he pictures it. If she, was, um, if she were clothed, then the illusion of nakedness is doubtless due to the ch charity with which she, her innermost spirit, shone through the clothes. Charity, by the way, is the old word for love. If she was feeling clothed, maybe it's just an illusion. Maybe it was just her love just flowing out of her. It's like she's clothed with love. For clothes in that country are not a disguise. The spiritual body, there's that word, the spiritual body lives along each thread and turns each of the clothes into something like a living organ. A robe or a crown is there as much as one of the wearer's features as a lip or an eye. So like the clothes you wear, it's just as much as like a part of like whether you're a lip or an eye. It's like the clothes, of, it's like a cloth of love. But I, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember if she was naked or clothed. And only partly do I remember the unbearable beauty of her face. Is it? Is it? This is what the narrator says. I, I whispered to my guy, and I, I think he thinks he's wondering if she's the, the Virgin Mary. Is it, is it? Is it her? Right? Nope. The guide says, no, not at all. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived on some street called Golders Green. She seems to be someone who's really very important. Yes, she's one of the great ones. You've heard about fame, that fame in this country, heaven, is a lot different than fame on earth. It's very different. <laughs> And who are these gigantic people? Look, they're like emeralds. Are these people that are like emeralds? And they're all dancing, and, <laughs> and they're like throwing flowers. Can, can you guys see it? There's the musicians. There's the boys singing. There's the girls singing. And there's, there's these gigantic emerald-like people who are dancing and throwing flowers in front of her. And he goes, he goes they're, they're the angels. They're a whole bunch of angels that follow her around for how great she is. And who are all these young men and women on each side? They are her sons and daughters. <laughs> what? It's like, she must have had a very large family, sir. Um, every, he says, no. Every young man or boy that met her became her son. Even if it was only the boy that brought her the meat to the, her back door. 
Every girl that met her was her daughter. You understand what she's saying? What he's saying? What the guide is saying? She treated every little boy and every girl like that boy was her son and was her daughter. That her love was so great that the boy who came to the back door to deliver meat, because that's kind of the way they did it back then, he, she would love him for that one brief moment like her son. And, he, and then he goes on, and then the person who's visiting says, isn't that kind of hard on her parents? Like everybody loves, the, all these kids love her like, like uh, she's their mom? Oh, no, that's not hard on their parents because there are those that steal other people's children, but her motherhood, her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents and loved them more. Few men looked on her without becoming, in a certain fashion, her lovers. Like every man <laughs> fell in love with her. But then it was the kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. Can you imagine? You ever met somebody whose character of love for you was so great that the way they loved you made you a better husband, made you a better daughter, made you a better son? Hello! Then, the, then the, the narrator says, oh, what are all these animals? <laughs> what are all these animals? There's like a cat, two cats, actually a dozen cats, and then there's a bunch of dogs, a whole bunch of dogs. I can't even count all these dogs. And, and the birds and the horses. <laughs> She's like, it's, like, it's like they are her beasts. Uh, did, she have, did she keep some kind of a zoo? I mean, this is, this is a little too much. That's what he's saying to her, his guide. He says, um, every beast and bird that came near her had its place in her love. In her they became themselves. And now the abundance of life she has in Christ from the Father flows out and even into them. And he looked at his, because I looked at my teacher with total like shock and amazement. Yes, he said, it is like when you throw a stone into a pool and the concentric waves spread out further and further, who knows where it will end? Redeemed humanity is still young. It has, it has hardly come to its full strength, but already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint such as a yonder lady to waken all the dead things of the universe into life. Do you see that? What is this woman? She's a spiritual body, and here is the other the verse. Uh, here's the other past, um, description from the Bible. She is a life-giving spirit. She's a spiritual body, and her spirit gives life to everything she touches. The the kids are like you're like my mom, but you're like better than my mom. In fact, you made me a better son. Even the dogs follow her around because she has loved all these dogs. She's loved all these cats. She's loved the birds and the horses. I mean, it's, she is life-giving. Life just flows out of her. While we spoke, the lady was steadily advancing towards us, but it was not at us that she looked. Following the direction of her eyes, I turned and saw an oddly shaped phantom approaching. It's like a ghost. Or rather, two phantoms. A great tall ghost, horribly thin and shaky, who seemed to be 
um, leading on another, another ghost no bigger than an organ grinder's monkey. Do you guys see it? Very tall and thin ghost. It's kind of like very thin and not unattractive. And then there's like a little dwarf that's like the size of a little, <laughs> little monkey. <laughs> right? And there's like a chain between these two ghosts. And this glorious life-giving spirit woman is looking at these two ghosts that, that are like chained together. The taller ghost wore a tough, soft hat. And he reminded me of something that my memory couldn't quite recover. Then when he had come within a few feet of the lady, he spread out his lean, shaky, flat hand, flat on his chest, and then exclaimed, at last. <laughs> and all at once, I remembered what he reminded me of. He reminded me of like the slimy kind of actor that I remember in certain kinds of movies. And then the woman speaks, darling, at last. And, and then they're, uh, they're, oh my goodness, is like, she can't be. And I'll stop for a moment. And here's, what, here's what happens in the next sequence. This incredible, glorious woman, she had been resurrected and gone to heaven. And the, this, this ghost, because he he's belongs in hell, and, the, and the, little, the little ghost, it turns out it's the same person. <laughs> and the little ghost is actually the real person, and then the actor is like his fake projection. <laughs> and they're meeting because they were married. <laughs> and all her life she had loved him, even though he abused her, verbally abused her. And he never gave, he was this, he was this slimy, insecure little man. And constantly he put forth his fake act. And yet she loved him all her life. And that's what this meeting is about. <laughs> now I'm going to stop there. This is the way C.S. Lewis envisions the clash of the natural body, the seed kernel, if we want to stay hellish with no God, no resurrection, no Jesus Christ making us new. If we want to stay like the dying Adam, the first Adam. In other words, not become like the new Adam, Jesus, who made the toy life come to the true life in himself. And I'm just offering this to you because who knows what it's going to actually be like. It, it may not quite be like, you know what's so great about this? I told you last week that if you don't have enough imagination, you can't see something that you can't see. A lot of people can only see, like, I see the chair, I see your money, I see that you got nice. It's all they can see is what they can tangibly see. But this is the real thing that's happening. Inside the drama that's happening, are you, is the seed inside your life going to become this? Or are you going to become like this hellish? And then she goes on, and what happens is she actually leans over and kisses the little guy, and he just acts like a total jerkwad. Because this is the way he's always acted. And mistreated his wife, and he always thought he was better than her, projecting his, he's like, I'm this great actor, I like this. And, and yet, actually, she was the real giant human being, and he was a pathetic loser. <laughs> and that's what he sees. And you see that in that little drama there? That's what's going on. Now, let me close my message. I'm going to close one more Lewis quote, and I'll close out this message. All right? I'm going to switch books. 
It's called the weight of glory. All this passage is about there's a, a glory of the earth, but there's something glorious, something glory, something so beautiful. I mean, we use this word glory, and we don't even know what it means. But let me tell you what glory means. Glory means a beauty so great we, don't, we have to use a different word. Glory means super beauty. A beauty so fantastic, so above and just over the top, you can't call it beauty anymore because beauty is an insult to the word glory. <laughs> it really is. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's insulting. Why would you say that? She is glorious. She's filled with glory. And Lewis gave this sermon called The Weight of Glory. And I want to just close with this. You see that, 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 that um, encounter between the true, glorious, resurrected person, the person who, knows, who has Christ inside of her, the, the, the real, true, eternal life of Christ, and then bumping up against this, her own very husband, who is just this self-centered, insecure jerkwad who constantly projected like he was this really strong guy, but really he was just a little weasel. That's, that's the real drama. And you and I, that's the drama of your life, my life, this, this tension. Will we become something glorious? That's the hope. Or do you want to just stay the weasel? And then inside all of us are these little insecure, pathetic little loser weasels. And the hope of the resurrection is that you and I get to be a spiritual body, a life-giving spirit. Being a life-giving spirit does not start then. It starts now. <laughs> because how the drama now is not based... Obviously, you can't see it. <laughs> you obviously cannot see it. You know, so how do we deal with it? You deal with it by faith. <laughs> faith doesn't mean just believing in something unreal. It's believing in something that's real, but you don't get to see you can't see it with these eyes. You see it with a different set of eyes. And if you can live in that drama and understand this is your real self, this is your real destiny, begin being a life-giving spirit now. This lady, her whole life, she was a life-giving spirit, the way she loved little boys and girls and even cats and dogs and birds, right? And then the angels sing. And people sing music to her and praise her, because we all do. I mean, we praise LeBron James. We praise Steph Curry. I wear her shirt. <laughs> I wear Steph Curry's shirt. I mean, I, I would sing songs to him, right? Well, after he wins the championship, we'll sing songs to him, OK? But um, so what if you are a 1,000 times greater than Steph Curry? Will we not praise such people? Let me close out this, and then I'll read this, and we'll close. The load, it may be possible for each to think too much of my own glory. What I'm going to become. I told you, don't think about yourself so much, what you're going to become. He goes, but it is not, we shouldn't be thinking enough about someone else's glory. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory, if it's to be laid on my back, it would be a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. It is a serious, and the backs of all the proud will become broken by the load of somebody else's glory. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. I told you we're supposed to be gods, except like the real God. 
To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, a person that will be so great that if you can see what they become, you'd be tempted to worship them. Or, if you can see what they'll become because they don't become resurrected, they may be a horror, a corruption that's so great that they'll only just be a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations, the glory or the nightmare. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all our friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. Nations and cultures, arts, civilizations, companies, <laughs> Apple, these are mortal things, and they're just going to die out. They're, they are as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we should always be solemn or serious. We get, we get to play. But we play in such a way because we know that we take each other seriously. Hmm. See what that is? That's life-giving spirit. Treating each other with humility. But treating each other with seriousness. And we can play and laugh because first we say, my goodness, you are greater than whole empires and civilizations and companies because one day your glory will outstrip them all. And he goes, I'll just close this way. Next to the sacrament itself, to the body of Christ that we touch, right? present here, this neighbor, your neighbor, if he is a Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way as Christ. For in him, Christ is truly hidden. The glorifier and the glorified is all hidden in that person who's going to become this life-giving spirit. Let's pray. We see so badly. It's like we can have 20-20 with physical eyesight, but spiritually we might as well be so blind because we do snub each other. We do push each other down. We are more, Father, this is like we, we are often Nietzschean rats more than glory, glory. I just is, is that word? Glorious, spiritual, life-giving, spirit bodies. Uh, it's like these, these words, we don't even know how to take these words because we're so corrupted in our heads. But we pray, Lord, I pray. I, 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 I took this great teacher, C.S. Lewis, who saw the most absolutely, it's like he peeked behind the curtain and saw something magnificent. And I pray that my brothers and sisters could have that peak and it will change everything about the way they look at people, the way they look at themselves, the way they look at their hope in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would just look at life differently. Life isn't this 80-year thing where we fight for advantage. But it's a, a glorious, everlasting thing where we can give up our advantage. We can be married to 
insecure and sniping people and forgive them and forgive them and love them. That we can love every little boy or girl like their own sons and daughters, even pouring out love on dogs and cats in a holy way, in a holy way. Your spirit living in us, because that's what Jesus is. The Son of God is spirit. The Holy Spirit just is pulsating off of him, making him a spiritual body, a life-giving spirit that can kill and defeat death and sin itself. Would you make us like Christ? This is what it means to be like Christ. To be a new man like Christ, a spiritual body like Christ, a life-giving spirit like the last Adam, the new humanity, the everlasting human being, the everlasting man, Jesus Christ, make us everlasting men and women filled with glory. Lord, we pray. I pray that this, will be, this is what needs to be, and one day you will make the world all this way. And we pray that by faith, not by sight, we would live in it now and begin to treat some of our neighbors like this woman described. And your pulsating, spirit-filled life will flow out of this church to the blessing and beauty of all around us. We pray this in Jesus' name.